tan jodido Tal vez haya perdido rumbo fijo No sé dónde estoy, no sé dónde voy No sé qué pasa primero No sé, pues que el tiempo se ha movido ¿Dónde fue? ¿Dónde yo perdí el olvido? Antes que nazca un sol Porque el tiempo está jodido Tal vez haya perdido rumbo fijo No sé dónde estoy, no sé dónde voy No sé quién pasa primero Justo a tener un montón 
Welcome to the Common Thread Collective. This is Global Val. Diamond Dave is on his way. He's uh, shuffling down the street as we speak. Happy Friday. It is May 12th, 2017. We've got a a cast of characters and friends hanging out here who are going to be contributing to this particular day's worth of excitement here on the Common Thread Collective here at Mutiny Radio, 21st in Florida. We'd love it if you came down and joined us. Uh, Don't worry, we probably won't force a microphone in front of you. But if you'd like to share your music, your poetry, your activism, your community, things that are on your mind, in your heart, we will, um, we can accommodate that. So come on down and join us and um, you'll probably have a good time. Um, It'll certainly be an an interesting one. So... um, Before we start, before Dave gets here, I figured I'd take a few minutes here to look at this new health care act that's been uh, passed through the House of Representatives, um, a highly contentious bill. 
And of course, it has still has many stages to go through. So it has passed the House of Representatives. Now it needs to go to the Senate for amendments and a, and a vote there. If it passes that, then it has to go to conference, which is between the House and the Senate. Then it needs to go back to the House and it needs to go back to the Senate. So, you know, this early victory, this early, um, you know, uh, celebration on behalf of every single Republican in the House of Representatives who voted for it um, is a little premature. Um, but, uh, you know, I was tired of reading all this, you know, opinions about this, uh, American Healthcare Act. That's the AHCA. And so I decided, you know what, let's just read the bill itself. What does it actually say? So, uh, this bill was, um, cataloged under the energy and commerce, uh, under the title of energy and commerce, of course, because health care is um, a business. Um, so let me, let me highlight some of the things that I noticed from reading this particular bill, the American Health Care Act, um, which was presented, uh, introduced in the House by um, Senator and pardon me, Representative uh, Diane Black, Republican from Tennessee. She's a former nurse, um, but uh, so she was the one who introduced it, this particular bill, and that passed through the House. And then they had a big party on the White House lawn, and you know, um, celebrated the hands-on president presidency. Um, so here's some of the things that are in the AHCA. Um, so basically, it starts with amending or changing the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, or ACA, aka Obamacare, um, that was you know uh, put through um, when towards the beginning of his presidency. There was a Democratic uh, majority in the House at that time, and they passed this real landmark uh, health health care bill that many of you have uh, had interactions with or experience with and basically um, requiring all citizens to have full coverage health care. And if you don't, then you'd get penalized at the end of the tax year. Um, but you would also get government subsidies for paying your premium on your health care. So, um, but one of the other main things that Obamacare did, which in my opinion is probably the most um, probably the best thing they did was to disallow insurance companies from uh, discriminating against patients with pre-existing conditions. So if you had a pre-existing condition, like if you had cancer, if you had diabetes, or if you had some sort of uh, odd chronic um, d disorder um, and you applied for health insurance prior to Obamacare or ACA, um, that uh, the insurance companies could just flat out deny you any coverage um, or they could charge you really high astronomical prices. So um, this is the bill that, um, that's the bill rather, that the Republicans in Congress have been railing against for the past like, seven and a half years. Um, and so they've come up with this new plan. And uh, here it is, the American Healthcare Act. So this bill will amend the Affordable Care Act to eliminate funding after the fiscal year 2018 for the Prevention and Public Health Fund, which provides investment in prevention and public health programs to improve health and restrain the rate of growth in health care costs. Isn't that nice? They're going to eliminate that. 
this bill amends the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act, uh, which increased funding for community health centers. So it's changing that. And for one year, certain federal funds may not be made available to states for payments to certain family planning providers. In other words, and this is in the bill, Planned Parenthood Federation of America. So basically withhold, well, plans to withhold for one year, I don't know why, one year, uh, some federal funding to states who support um, the Planned Parenthood in that state. So it's a strangulation of Planned Parenthood. Another part of this big bill is that it, um, it changes the, the Medicaid. Um, so it amends Title 19, which is Medicaid, of the Social Security Act. So it, ch so it changes the Social Security Act uh, to limit the state option for um, participating provider hospital and preliminarily determine an individual's Medicaid eligibility. Okay, so basically <clears throat> changing um, eligibility requirements for Medicaid. So one of the things would, it would lower um, the, 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 um, the minimum family income threshold from, which it's currently set at 133% of the official poverty line and lowers it down to just 100% of the official poverty line. Um, as a minimum family income threshold that a state can use to determine Medicaid eligibility um, for children between the ages of 6 and 19. It also reduces this thing called an FMAP. It's the Federal Medical Assistance Percentage. So basically the money in the federal budget going towards medical assistance. Um, so uh, this new bill would reduce that FMAP um, for Medicaid, home, and community-based attendance services and supports. So lowering, lowering that. Um, and then a few other things. Uh, beginning in 2020, the bill would eliminate an enhanced FMAP, or, you know, federal contribution for medical assistance. Um, uh, it would eliminate the enhanced FMAP for Medicaid services um, for adult enrollees um, who were made newly eligible for Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Um, it would also eliminate the expansion of Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act uh, to cover such enrollees. However, a state Medicaid program may continue to provide coverage with the enhanced FMAP to these enrollees who were enrolled prior to 2020 and do not subsequently have any break in their eligibility that exceeds just one month, one month grace period. For some reason, you let that lapse. Um, you'd be out of, out of luck. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. And also... Um, with respect to states that expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, uh, current laws, uh, current law provides for that FMAP increase um, through 2019, but this bill eliminates the increases after 2017, basically capping, capping that spending uh, at the 2017 lever, level. And under current law, any alternative benefit plan that's offered by a state Medicaid program um, is required to provide specified essential health benefits. So that's the law as it is now under Medicaid. There's certain essential health benefits that are supposed to be provided for. Um, now this bill 
eliminates this requirement beginning in 2020. Essential health benefits include ambulatory patient services, emergency services, hospitalization, maternity and newborn care, mental health and substance use disorder services, prescription drugs, rehabilitative services, laboratory, so like a blood draw, you know, um, or, you know, urine tests, um, preventative and wellness services, and pediatric services. Sorry, kids. Yeah. Um, then there was a section I didn't really understand. <laughs> There's one little section I couldn't really grasp what the hell they were talking about. But that was a small section. Uh, the next one is kind of an interesting thing they've thrown in. Um, it seems totally random, um, but it's really based on eligibility. You know, like, so your income determines whether or not you're going to be eligible for Medicaid. So part of this bill is talking about um, how just in case you happen to win a lot of money, uh, that you're required to report that the state's required to, to, um, to acknowledge that income, you know? So if you, if you win any amount of money, say you're gambling or the lottery and it's under $80,000, um, you know, you have to like, you have to like report that within a month. Um, if, if, you know, but if you win anywhere between 80 and $90,000, Hey, you know, you get two months to report that. Um, and, um, you know, if it's a, you get over three months if you win between ninety and a hundred thousand dollars, and any over an additional one month period for each increment of ten thousand dollars received, not to exceed one hundred twenty months. So just in case you're out there winning a bunch of money, just know uh, you're going to have to let your state know in case you're on Medicaid, and then they'll they'll you know redetermine your eligibility. Another part of this bill actually. Um, is requiring would require states to redetermine eligibility at least every six months. So in creating this huge bureaucratic process, um, and that's one of the only things that they're, they'd like to increase their spending on. They're going to do a temporary increase of spending by like five percent to try to help states, um, you know, redetermine, you know, if you qualify for Medicaid um, twice a year at least. Uh, the other thing that they were willing to um, increase spending for is for further auditing to make sure that states are in compliance with this new law. Other than that, everything is just going, um, you know, wants to be eliminated. Um, what's another couple things that um, should be uh, highlighted from this bill. It's not a very long bill. So I was kind of surprised when I read it and then to hear that, uh, you know, some of the, some of the representatives actually didn't read it. And of course, you know, they they rely on their staff quite a bit, but, um, this is not a very big bill. So I think they could have taken the time to look at it, but, um, yeah, there's a couple of fun things towards the end. I'm just, I, I would recommend you get in there and, and try to read it for yourself. Um, <clears throat> but here's where it really gets to the nitty gritty. Um, uh, let's see here. There is a, a section that talks about, um, you know, taxes. And basically it's giving a lot of tax breaks to employers and larger, um, large employers, um, uh, and eliminating fines, saying, okay, you won't have to pay a fine if you don't have health insurance at the end of the year, but also employers won't have to pay a fine if they're not providing the coverage that they're supposed to be providing. Um, and, you know, just to wrap it up, let you know that 
Um, they are removing one specific task that I noticed, um, which would take, uh, it would repeal the 10% excise tax on the price of indoor tanning services. So there you go. Um, oh, and by the way, this section will, uh, this section will also repeal the 3.8% tax on the net investment income of individuals, estates, and trusts with incomes above specified amounts, which actually in this bill are not specified. So um, that is the parts of the American Healthcare Act 2017 that uh, was passed by the House of Representatives. And um, yeah, I suggest you go check it out. HR 1628. And, understand. and here's Dave. Here's Dave as we're finding that common thread. Oh, I, I can't hear you, Dave. I can't hear you through this microphone. We're finding that common thread. Here we be. Here we go. And here we go. Thank well, I've been following with some interest. Now that that uh, now that uh, the Trump, we have the Obamacare. Now this is supposed to be Trump uncare, I guess. <laughs> but it's going now to the Senate, where it's going to receive a lot more serious treatment than it did in the House. Absolutely. Because these senators are one more aware. Two, that uh, two, they're more aware of their districts. Three, they're kind of, this is coming after a series of town meetings that have been held uh, in the last few weeks too. Is that right? Uh, and yeah, at, at yeah, each one of these uh, town mm -hmm. halls, these town halls, uh, people show up in numbers, not just a few, and in numbers, and give them, uh, and give them. What what for? What's it? Give them what Even for? Give them what for? What for is the word? <laughs> Give them what for? They sometimes have to escape. They escape as the people are saying, as people are realizing that this point, this Trump care bill that passed the legislature will eliminate something like what twenty four million people will lose their health care. Is that right? Um, that's kind of what's been estimated. But this actual bill that they voted on did not get. Um, was not, was not um, reviewed by the the, the budget office before it was passed. I the rub. You read my mind. But this time, the budget office, in which people, uh, in which we have uh, folks whose job is to take a serious look at the bills and let us know what its effect will be. And they're going to be taking a serious look. Hopefully, the uh, uh, the uh, the fact that Trump is there. As a whole, is that a whole different subject, or is it not? I think it's because yeah, in some ways it's not. Mm -hmm. Will not uh, uh, will not stop them from taking a real look at this bill as it hits the Senate, and the, the senators will get a chance to look at their report, and uh, there will be a time for a lot of changes to be made. It will be time with a lot of uh, confusion to come up. So at this point, anybody knows. Any of us, is that, is that a good way to say? Anybody knows what's going to come out of the Senate and go to Trump. So uh, so uh, it's, it's horrifying, but it's not quite this horrifying yet. But time will tell. Right. Like of all of us, like time will tell what's going to happen with Trump after he's fired and after he's setting his, after he fired the head of the FBI, after all that's coming out, after all this, this is coming out, I can't wait to, I can't wait every morning to listen to the morning report on, 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 on NPR to see the latest skinny, but that's what I am and maybe what you are too, but time will tell. Hmm. And I got a couple of folks here, each of, each of whom has a, has a novel they've written, uh, 
and they're just passing through from rural Ohio where they're farmers as well. So I'd like to get to them. This be Val, by the way. And uh, and Hi. I believe we have, do we have uh, uh, blood flower there? Oh, it's oh, it's is blood flower gonna? He was well, to, he said he would, but anyway, what? I think he was outside on? practicing. Well, yes, let's put some music on. Okay, here's a he little music from our friend uh, Santi Anjou. Until blood flower is ready. Microphone situation, and guess what? They all work. What a happy Friday at the Mutiny Radio here. So, uh, Bloodflower, our friend here, uh, he's got his melodica. What are we gonna do with that melodica? Okay. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. I got the giggles. Hang on. Hang on. So I apologize. I got the giggles. It's the heat. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. Thank you, Blood Flower. Thank you for shifting from the giggles to that. Uh, <laughs> Such variety here on the Common Thread Collective. For, for setting the stage. And here I have uh, Val and everybody from a farm in rural Ohio where there were farmers and writers. A couple. Here's Deborah Fleming. And her book is called Without Leave. Without Leave. You speak yeah. right in. Without Leave. And Without Leave is an historical novel, a historical novel that takes place 50 years ago on that street that some called Love, others called Hate Street. And then that summer, well, I would, I would go that far. This was when I turned 30. Uh, on that summer, uh, on that summer, in that summer, they call it the Summer of Love. And it begins with your main character, it looks like, walking down, walking down Hate Street. And the book is called Without Leave. First of all, first, this is what I want to do, Deborah. This is an historical novel, is that right? Yes. So let me know uh, what kind of uh, research you're here, you're on your, on your farm in Ohio, and you decided somehow to write a novel that took place in that year. That's a historical novel, am I right? Yes, yes. So what kind of research did you do to set the stage that you were not old enough? Uh, you, were old, you weren't there, were you? I wasn't there, but um, I certainly heard a lot about what was going on in San Francisco in 1967. Um, later, in later years, I met someone who had been there and uh, conducted extensive interviews with this person um, who actually lived some of the details in the book, although the book is entirely fictitious. Um, I interviewed uh, military people because my protagonist has gone AWOL from the Navy. Mm. I visited every site in the book, um, except uh, Subic Bay in the Philippines. <laughs> I didn't, oh I didn't go there. Um, but um, uh, I, I definitely conducted a lot of... Uh, I read a lot of books about the period, and I knew people who, were, who very intimately knew the scene in those days. Well, as, as, as I said earlier, repeating myself, that I was there. So that's going to be really interesting for me to read the book. And I saw, in fact, that when I looked at it momentarily, that's all the chance I had to look at it now, uh, that, you, in fact, you dedicated it to somebody who, in fact, you looked upon as your kind of guide to what it was like back then. Yes, uh, somebody who shared a lot of memories, uh, sometimes painful, sometimes happy mem memories, um, who helped me understand what it really was that went on in those days. Okay, well that sounds wonderful. And also I see that the book is put out by, let's begin with this, with, uh, by the Black Mountain Press. And the Black Mountain Press is Black Mountain, uh, Black Mountain College, which was an uh, uh, arts and poetry college uh, uh, up in the Black Mountains in the Appalachians not far from Asheville. And in fact, I met these folks uh, when they when it closed down. And this, I see, I was here 10 years earlier when it when it Back Mountain closed down and they came to San Francisco to take part in the Beat uh, Generation. Yes, uh, the people who run the press now are the next generation, uh, but the, the press is named for the Black Mountain College. Well, that, uh, that gives me a lot of, wow, Black Mountain, this must be a, not just your uh, throwaway book, but must have a certain amount of seriousness that they chosen. So let's start chosen to uh, publish it in Asheville. And, uh, and uh, here we are in San Francisco. And here I am, and here you are. Here I am, uh, a person who was there. In fact, you mentioned AWOL. AWOL means absent without leave. 
and they, and there were so many people who came up, going to going out to Fort Mason to be shipped out, or come on the way to Subic on the ship, that was as I say absent without leave, and they would show up in the hate, and nothing like a little marijuana, to and a little thought to say that I don't think that's what I want to do, and we had this uh, we had this underground railway that went uh, went up to, up to Canada. I, I know. Uh, um, uh, I know that Rainbow Farm was part of it, outside of outside of uh, outside of Drain, Oregon, and we and the people who didn't want to go back, we had a ways to get them to Canada, and so we had absolute without leave, and we had draft dodgers whose number was going to be coming up, who said the same. This is just too much fun, this is too much peace and love, this is not what, not what I want to do. So so this is what I'm putting out now. So tell me a bit about your book. Uh, it's about a fellow who is in the Navy. He, he leaves college and joins the Navy because his father's died and he doesn't want his mother to have to pay tuition. He is stationed in San Francisco and um, he learns that he hates the Navy um, and a friend of his actually leaves and so he decides he's going to leave as well. Um, he, it happens to be May of 1967 um, he meets in the Golden Gate Park uh, a college dropout, an artist, who has had a very difficult uh, couple of years, and um, uh, he stays with them in a in a crash pad, a hippie house. We call them communes, by the way. Communes, okay. Crash pads came later. <laughs> okay. We call them communes, and we had the first. Now, let me back, a little background. There was a lot of empty uh, places there. The rent was only like $150 for a whole flat. Now it's thousands. Now people like us who still are in that spirit, over here, whippy, beatnik, whatever, punk rock, whatever, that's me. Uh, now are more can be found more around the mission, but even that's difficult now. But they were called communes, and there's a lot of empty places. In fact, when I got here, I found the ability to just open a, a window, uh, just a window, and climb right in. And these, these various real estate companies would be owning the places. They were holding them back. It was a time of white flight. It was called. This is where black people were starting to move out of the Fillmore, which is the black neighborhood, right across to Visadero, and uh, was which was being redeveloped. And they're moving out and beginning to move into the hate white papers. It had been a white, very white neighborhood, but they began leaving, and we could, we could, we could move in. And I guess crash pad is good enough. A crash pad means that that if you found out up on the street, where can I stay? You get an address, and the door was usually open, and you could come right in, and uh, and find yourself a place in the living room. And I was kind of the overseer of one of those because I had come in from New York City, Greenwich Village, and a lot of people followed me. Oh, I'm going to Diamond Days, and, Be and Be Beverly are in, uh, gone to San Francisco. We're going too. And uh, they knew we could be found on Hate Street. The rest in history. That's before that song came out. Come to San Francisco, wear some flowers in your hair. You're gonna, you'll meet some friendly people there. And that, I guess, is, was us up there. Well, go ahead, talk more. Tell us more, sister. Well, um, the uh, the main character's name is David, and the uh, woman's name is Diane, and uh, they meet, and they are falling in love. And David realizes, uh, because of some um, trouble they have when they go to Point Reyes National Park, that he can never be his own man as long as he's a fugitive. So he goes back to the Navy. Oh, no. Go ahead. 
to try to convince them that he's too crazy to continue to serve and um, undergoes a transformation there. Uh, Diane, on the other hand, uh, goes back to be with some friends in Colorado, ends up having an affair, and leaves and goes back home to Columbus. Um, the story ends in 1970. Uh, she is finishing her degree at Ohio State in the spring of 1970 when all the trouble occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, this I did Kent not... State. And, uh, in State. In, uh, in Ohio. Well, it's mm-hmm. happening everywhere, and but when trouble occurs, I think at Kent State where, what, uh, nine people died. Um, four, four people four, died four, at four Kent people. State okay, and two me, at Jackson people. State. But I didn't have to do too much research on that part because I was there at Ohio State oh, in the were. spring of 1970. So I used a good bit of my own experience uh, to, uh, 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 to convey the details. Uh, I wouldn't like to uh, tell you the end of the story. You don't need to. <laughs> you don't need to for sure. So this is a story. So this is like a momentary meeting on 8th Street. And you have... Uh, and uh, let me see how you captured the atmosphere of what it was like back then. And I'll, say, and I'll see if it will take me back in time, dancing sideways down the ribbon of time. The path they had lit by the echo behind. Let's have a little echo behind. Read something, will you? Uh... Before he could see it, he could smell it. Patchouli and sandalwood incense, cloaking the sweetish aroma of marijuana and mingling with odors of cypress and holly trees. And before he could smell it, he could feel it. Young people not hiding as he and his friends did in hotel rooms to smoke pot or drop mescaline, but openly celebrating what was usually unseen. It was May 21st, 1967. David Shields, seaman on the USS Loyola aircraft carrier, returned from Westpac and docked at Hunters Point Naval Shipyard, lengthened his stride up Haight Street, consciously abandoning the marching rhythm he sometimes involuntarily fell into and imposing a different beat as if he were climbing, with every step leaving behind his youth in southern Ohio, his family, the Navy. In the plate glass window of the cafe on the corner of Masonic, he caught sight of his shaved face and prominent jaw, his black hair cut short around his large forehead, the bulging... Yes. Uh, The bulging muscles of his upper arm filled out the sleeves of his green and brown plaid shirt. The sun was bright, the sky blue and cloudless. He knew the air was not really clear, though. It was made of particles, as Newton theorized, and filled with subtle pastel refractions of purple, blue, pink, and yellow. Waves of light shifted with breezes, shadows, sounds. His eyes normally filtered them out, but but they were always there, just beyond conscious reach, until now. So So he was having what's called a contact high. I guess, where all these stuff that normally you, is, is just to walk down 8th Street, back in 1967, about to meet him, meet his, uh, his soon-to-be a dropout from, uh, from uh, Antioch Ohio. Antioch College. Huh? Antioch College. From Antioch. Well, I mentioned Antioch. Antioch, of course. Antioch is closed, but you told me it was opening up again. They've opened it up again. Um, it's got a much smaller faculty and a smaller student body, but the alumni contributed money, and they've, they've, it's open now. Uh, it's, it's starting up, and they're hoping to, 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 to work back to what it used to be. Well, that's good news, because Antioch was definitely my sister, Wendy, went to Antioch back in the day, back about that day, in fact. And uh, part of Antioch, why they were one of the reasons why they were different 
from other schools, why they stood out at other schools, was that uh, that if you went to Antioch, you you'd go one semester at school, and then when one semester you'd uh, you'd work in some place, some nonprofit, or some place where you could continue to embrace and enlarge what you would learn in the classroom, you could bring to the street. Am I right? Yes, yes, that's true. And now, and Antioch closed. They couldn't hold. It was kind of sad. Now we have Marlboro College in Vermont, which I think is along the same lines. I don't know Marlboro, but I know Evergreen in Evergreen, the state of, of Washington is similar. And Oberlin is still going strong yeah, uh, in northern Ohio. They have uh, built the first entirely sustainable building. It sustains itself. I uh, visited there. It's quite remarkable. Wow. And Oberlin, of course, goes way, way back. Yes. Oberlin was once a stop on the Underground Railway. Yes, it was. And now we're talking about uh, another Underground Railway. It's too bad that he didn't meet the right people. The sailor, David. When he was after walking down the the uh, the, the walking down Heath Street and meeting his I don't want to say nemesis his uh, the the woman who was an artist and a college dropout and they met and they they uh, a spark happened and everything changed for them and what happened did they go to a to a crash pad what what happened so they met in Golden Gate Park um, the, conversation the woman, began uh, the woman Diane is living in a house with a friend of her from Antioch who's a filmmaker and he is living with his new girlfriend who comes from who is from California and she had gone to uh, San Francisco State and she too is a dropout um, and she wants to be a writer and so Diane invites David to stay with them and he does Um, there's somebody else staying there as well who is uh, he was a chemistry student at Berkeley and so he knows how to manufacture just what's needed um, he's also uh, a, a very charismatic man, but a, but a c- kind of a threatening figure as well. And um, he knows David has a secret, um, which eventually comes out uh, several weeks later when they they go to Point Reyes. Um, there was a big dance at Point Reyes uh, that that really happened, and they were camping. And so there's an incident uh, in, involving drugs and so on, and that's the point at which David realizes uh, he cannot continue to be a fugitive. Oh, it was un- it's unfortunate he didn't run, to, uh, run into us. We were called the Diggers. I don't know where you go to the book. And of course, this chemistry dropout from from Berkeley sounds a lot like Osley, who manufactured. He and his girlfriend manufactured thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars, the real right. thing LSD. Not this half, uh, half-assed half stuff, I wouldn't even bother. But I wouldn't even bother, because <laughs> I, I realized I, at a certain point, by 1971 or so, I had reached the point of diminishing returns. It was good, well, it happened. In fact, Osley, who you mentioned in the book, uh, well, an Osley-like character, you mentioned in the book, you don't he was killed, by the way, he was killed in an auto accident, uh, he crashed his car in Australia. But Osley was the one who, at the, uh, at the gathering of the tribes of the human being, that was before your book takes place, wasn't it? Uh, it takes place, it is mentioned in the book. Okay, uh, well, I was It takes there. place, uh, Diane is in Colorado, and she leaves for San Francisco at the moment that the be-in takes place. Okay, that was January 10th, 20th, uh, 1967. And was the passing of the passing of the uh, of the hat, not the hat, the flame, the torch from one already named generation, the Beat Generation. Gary Snyder got up and blew, blew, and there were thousands. I was there. I said, "Where did they all come?" We all were looking around, saying, "Where did we all come from?" 
We knew there were some hundreds of people, something was happening, but this was up in the thousands. We're looking around, and there, Gary, then Gary, there, Gary Snyder, beat poet, also living out in the fire, has his own land now up in the Sierras, though. Gary Snyder, beat poet, blew the conch shell in the four directions, and then the gathering of the tribes took place. That's where, and that was, uh, uh, and also the poster you could find up there, you find that, folks. Human being gathering the tribes. That was also where Timothy Leary, out from, out from Harvard, drop out. I think the others are drop in. So I'm a drop in, no, you're a drop in. Anyway, uh, you're not a drop out, you're a drop in. But there, Gary Snyder, uh, uh, Timothy Leary, that's where he first st stood there, and I remember it well. He was dressed all in white, and he sat there in a yoga position, right there on the stage, and he said it. Turn on. Tune in. Tune in. in. Drop out. Drop, turn, uh, thank you. <laughs> my mind, because I'm looking at him in my mind's eye up there. I said, well, and already Osley had handed me a, a dose of his super LSD. He was handing it around. And then, and, I haven't seen it. What? And you had actually catch, caught a ride to the park on the further bus. Yeah, I was, yeah, that's right. I was uh, outside with my, uh, uh, I was living at, on Fell, on the main street up. And uh, Fell and Steiner and uh and my 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 kid was uh ubi who's now 51 years old was in arms and i walked out the street and bus pulled up and said get in and i said i'm going up uh where we're we going well we're going to this place constant golden gate park well count me in and that was uh that was uh, that was uh Kesey. ken Kesey and his company Heading for it, so heading for it. That could be in the book. You have to do it as volume two. Anyway, uh, the two of my characters are at the Bean. Uh, it's it's mentioned in retrospect, um, and somebody else who was at the Bean um, is was the poet who wrote the love book, Lenore Candle. Oh, she was definitely Lenore was there. Another one was at the Bean, older, and I think was kind of a uh, a mentor for Lenore Candle was Diane De Prima. Diane, I don't, you don't know her. Read her, uh, people, read her, My Life as a Woman, and uh, which is about going to school at Hunter and connecting with the, this is in the 50s, she's at my age now, kind of the 50s, and going at night, going to Greenwich Village, Hunter College, of course, is in, in New York City, and being able to connect, and then uh, hooking up with, uh, with, the, with the poet, who was then, uh, who was then uh, Leroy Jones, and started the Poets, uh, the Poets uh, Theater in New York, and she was there. And of course, lest I forget, just back from India, dressed all in white, dancing right with her mana, was, was Ellen Ginsberg. Yes. And Ginsberg was there as well. And, and uh, the poster said, all San Francisco bands. And maybe when we get off as a, uh, a segue, segue between now and whoever, comes in a bunch of uh, one of the bands there there's two I can think Canned Heat was there I know for sure mm -hmm. Fine Canned Heat well uh, they were blues uh, they were one of the bands that came out of the head it said all San Francisco bands as there's just a few and that's where uh, Jefferson Airplane came out of that's Canned Heat it's Quicksilver Messenger Service they get that's they got up between these various beatniks and, and people from that generation and that was the kickoff yes Yes. Anyway, there we are, and there you are. So meanwhile, this, you're writing a historical novel which takes place later in June in which uh, AWOL 
I'm an AWOL guy, meets this woman, I drop out, and she goes back. So, so many of the people came and left. So many of the people didn't stick around. And of course, what's going on then, what's going on then is a rising movement. I say we were called diggers. Uh, finddiggers.org, you'll see the digger papers. Yeah, uh, diggers.org, which were, were the human manifestos well, they probably said manifesto is still a very sexist time. Sexist time. I don't know get in many ways looking back at it. But they're manifestos because we were already battling a growing movement in the street against that. We had now half forgotten war, the Vietnam War. Yes. Yeah. So, and, uh, uh, Deborah, where can people find your book? It's called Without Leave, right? It's, uh, it's available on Amazon. It's available from the Ashland University Bookstore. Um, it's uh, usually available from Black Mountain Press. I'm afraid they're rather low, uh, rather slow to get the book uh, to get the book out. But um, uh, they can also order it from me, and I'm on the nice. Ashland University website. Oh, beautiful! And Adobe Books. Uh, I hope we'll be stocking it. Nice. Okay, Adobe and maybe Ellicott, and maybe she go up to uh, where it all began for many ways. It certainly did for me uh, 10 years earlier, 1957. I'm talking about City Lights. Have you been up there yet? Yes, yes, uh, yes. City Lights is uh, a little bit booked up for the summer. Um, I, oh, I hope they'll, they'll order it. Yeah, that's, that's a good play. They got uh, a good play, and they have uh, books uh, in the front when you walk in. Now, when I went first walked into City Lights, it was 1957, and it was 1950. Oh, I made it here. I'd written this article by Kenneth Rexroth. I've told this story many times before, that something was happening in San Francisco. This is 1957. About all these poets coming in, of which the Black Mountain poets were certainly part of. Um, about uh, no, the, the Kenneth Rexroth, I-R-E-X-R-O-T-H. This is an article in Nation magazine. He wrote a whole anthology but with this is it's called the San Francisco Renaissance. That's what we were called. And all these poets coming in. He claimed it was the first bohemian community since World War II. He talked about all-night parties, free love, bohemian lifestyle, bohemians, what we do up and down that street. It wasn't Hate Street, it was Grant Avenue. And also we talked about pot smoking as well. And I was there in Minneapolis. And I said, wow, I had read a bit about pot smoking. It sounded like that's exactly what I wanted to do. I read Really the Blues by Mez Mesro. I read a couple others where pot smoking was part and parcel. And it sounded like what I wanted to do. So soon I was. I hitchhiked. This is before the, uh, this is good material for you. If you have any questions, I might have some answers. Okay. This is good material for you. Uh, if you have any answers, I might have some questions. So this is good material. So, so soon I, and this is, this is important to note. People think that the uh, people think the present was always the present, but let but let me tell you back then there is no interstate. I'm doing on ramps, on ramps, carbon monoxide, and endless stream of cars and trucks. No, no, no. This was 1957, and it was an occasional. It was just a three-lane highway. You go for the south, you go, you could get your kicks on Highway 66. Or up north, which I went, I was in Minneapolis, you could go from down to Iowa, and then down, I think it was Highway 80, all the way across, just a three-lane highway. You just kick back, and soon somebody would stop by and say, get in, I'm going 30 miles down the road. 
and you get in, so it was an adventure. But soon, I was walking up uh, Grand Columbus and standing in front of the sea lights. Wow, here I am. Wow, here I am, because they mentioned sea lights. And I looked, and there's this beer, young, older bearded guy, but now young, putting copies of Howl, Ellen Ginsberg, back in the window, putting it in the window. And so I walked in, and it was and sea lights. Have you been there yet? Oh, yes, we've, we've been there several times. Yes. Well, you know, it was much smaller than all that big, yes. was not there. Yes. It was just this triangle stake uh, structure with this, uh, with this uh, spiral staircase, uh, cast area going up where the foreign books in, and the basement. Uh, in the basement, it was just that, and just that window's there, and he's putting copies of Hall back in the window. And I went in, and so I, I'm just here. I was, I was in a state of natural high. I was on a natural high for sure. I made it. And he said, well, blah, 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 I did. He said, well, I'm Lawrence Ferlinghetti, and we just got acquitted yesterday <laughs> on the Hall trial. They had been, they had had boxes of the books come in, and these motherfuckers, excuse my, whatever, it's all right. Anyway, these dudes of the the customs had confiscated it all, and plus sent the cops in and had he and uh, his partner Shig, this Japanese dude, Shig, uh, arrested for obscenity, and the trial went on. And he brought the literary critics on from San Francisco State, critics who said, this is not pornography, this is not obscenity, this is literature. And this is San Francisco. And the judge read it, and he shook his head, and he said, case dismissed. And the books were going back up in the window. And that was Ferlinghetti, who's, who, had, who had published it, and who published his own book next, Coney Islands of the Mind. I definitely remember his own book of poetry. So that's a bit of hipstery. And so this, uh, he went back, he, for whatever reason, but he was not the same man, David, as he was, I assume, when he first walked on Main Street. And he first met the dropout. I wouldn't say dropout, I'd say drop in. <laughs> Just like when people say we have a retreat, I say don't call it a retreat, call it an advance. We're not, you're not dropping out, you're dropping in. And that's what people do, and a lot of them, and there was, so what, what could you do? I, I, from, for me, I'd gotten, I was, uh, but, well, this was, was again, this is what I could do, I could do. But in fact, back in 1957, it was Bike Messenger by Day, Beatnik by Day and Night. It was 1957, and I was in Seventh Heaven, a nonlinear dart on the urban checkerboard. So anyway, so here's the book. I've been, so they met, they had an affair, and then she had another affair, had various affairs. In fact, she had a, when you described the book to me, it, it, it sounded like she, the book is based on quite a series of affairs, it was the summer of love, that she had. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, the the uh, woman character uh, was a student at, at Antioch, and she went on one of the uh, work tours, uh, uh, work assignments that you had mentioned. Uh, she goes to New York to work in the theater. She wants to. She's an artist, and she wants to design theatrical sets. She didn't work at the Living Theater, is she? And in the uh, it was a theater in Harlem. I, I made it up, okay, but it's, good, it is based on. Okay, good. Because there was a Living Theater, and still is. 
It, it's, sorry? Your theater is not living theater. Yeah, the uh, living no, theater it wasn't the living the, uh, theater, Garrick but it's Bank. based on one that's, that's similar and um, falls in love with the, the man who directs and ra raises the money and, and so on. And um, she, uh, she undergoes a, a terrible rape. All rape is terrible. Oh, no. Um, and um, she actually wants to marry him, uh, and he tells her, we're, I'm, I'm too old and we're not right for each other, and understands the cultural difference, the cultural divide that, sh that she believes can be bridged and he knows cannot. So she goes back to he Antioch. He's a black guy. Uh, He's a black guy. Not, um, okay, go ahead. It's a Harlem theater. I and, get it. Uh, she's the only white, white person working in the theater. Theater. And um, she, so she goes back to college uh, only to learn that he has been murdered um, uh, in uh, walking through one of the parks in, in New York. Mm. And um, so she has a, a sort of a breakdown. And that's where she drops out of college, uh, goes to be with some friends in, in uh, Colorado. Oh, go to Colorado. That's uh, another college. That's the tribute. That's the college of the Tibetan Buddhists. Uh, oh, Nero Naropa, Naropa. They set out Naropa. in Boulder. Yeah. Naropa. Oh, well, she, yeah, of course. Go well, she ahead. goes to Colorado Boulder. State and um, to be with some friends of, of hers, uh, a former mentor. Okay. Um, and she feels that the fellow is falling in love with her, so she decides to leave she, because she loves his wife as well. Um, that this, this person is uh, based on some people that I, that I knew, although the story is entirely fictitious. And so um, she receives an invitation from this, again, a friend from Antioch who's in San Francisco, and she says, well, I think I'll go there. And that's how they all wind up together in San Francisco. Oh, my Francisco. goodness. It sounds like a book of many different adventures and interesting incidents. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I can hardly wait to read it. And you're going to be at Adobe Books with this, doing some reading? Or? Uh, tomorrow, uh, it would be May 13th, is it? Um, yeah. At 4 o'clock at Adobe Books, reading from the book. Oh, beautiful. Very cool. Well, I'm trying to make it my back. Well, let me. I'm, I definitely <laughs> I, I believe you said it. Very cool. Well, yeah. that sounds uh, interesting. Anything, Without uh, leave. Speak briefly. We will greatly. Is there anything you should like to add? Are you happy with this interview? Very much so. Well, thank you. Now, here be your husband, Clark. Hi. They both be farmers Actually, in, no. uh, in Ohio, <laughs> which no. is a purple state. A purple state. And, and so your book takes place in the future. Let's talk briefly about that because we have a number of people in and nobody, the secret government, everybody gets a chance to do their thing around here. But so tell us, Clark, tell us about, uh, what, what is uh, 600 ppm? 600 ppm, which refers to parts per million of the, the uh, measurement of carbon dioxide particles in the atmosphere. So at presently we're about 400, 410. Uh, according to the measurements at Mauna Loa Observatory in Hawaii as of April. So this envisions 35 years in the future at a period when it's 600, and it pretty much is a uh, is a uh, an anxiety dream about the absolute worst possible thing that could happen. And it's basically, I guess you'd say, a fantasy, but based on stuff that is happening now and that is scary now. So this is a novel, scary now, looking into the future, that they call it dystopia. What kind of government do we have then? Do we have one? Uh, this, we... this particular government is a, is a kind of metaphor for the denialists that we have now. Because but the, they're the, the ones that are behind Trump. 
Yeah. In many ways. Oh, absolutely. His, uh, his uh, secretary of the environment is a, is a denialist. Yeah, they're all denialists. In yeah, that they're group. all denialists. They're, uh, they're deny everything but money. So, so what I, I do? So, so, what in the in the book they're envisioned as uh, 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 conspirators who seek uh, kind of like the way they covered up the the they, they continued to deny the JFK assassination. It's that kind of thing. The, oh the, my the, goodness! The intelligence operatives are uh, exist for the purpose of covering up. Now, what they're covering up in this case is the protagonist, a uh, young man named Jeff Claymarker. He's 26 years old. He doesn't have a college education or anything, but he's a clever guy. And he had an uncle who was a scientist, a climate scientist in Washington, D.C., who died and left him some documents on flash drives. And uh, one of the, the flash drives contains a video of a congressional hearing that took place 25 years earlier. Hmm. And at the congressional hearing, he details all of the... Uh, you know, the problems with climate change and what needs to be done. And the, the idea, and this is, I've been criticized for this because everybody says, well, everybody knows about this. It's not a secret. Right. But the denialists are being, uh, meta, uh, you know, turned into a metaphor here. And so what we have then is people seeking to suppress that information that was given to uh, the Congress at that time and on which they refused to act. Mm-hmm. So if people find out about it, they will become, they will get up in arms. That's the idea. Well, we definitely need that. Yeah, absolutely. And if everybody knows this, they know it, but do they know it? Yeah. And perhaps through your book, uh, through your book, and, and therefore, again, both are using the novel form to put off of, uh, a certain kind of message, certainly true in your case, mm-hmm. of uh, the, that something needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And more and more we see that something needs to be done. Every time we pick up the paper, we just shake our head. Every time we put on the radio, NPR, or whatever, well, that's my, uh, mm-hmm. that's what I just done in the morning, and I just shake my head. That's yeah. my exercise. And I learned about this out of Shaking your head is exercise. Of my dad, I'm, I'm my glad. Oh, my bad. It makes me feel better because I think a lot of people are getting a lot of exercise with all this head shaking. That's yeah. good. As we see what's going on, as we begin to hit the streets, and certainly San Francisco, brother, is kind of an oasis. Yeah. In the term, you don't meet too many Trump voters, Trump, 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 Trump voters here. Trumpistas. Trumpistas here for sure. But we have this uh, oasis, and what I say is, we better. He wants to build a wall. So I think we need to build a wall, a wall of love with a rainbow bridge, and also get uh, and, and also get to uh, acknowledge ourselves educate ourselves, put out the word of what might well happen if we continue the way it's continuing. And you've written a book which is uh, about what will happen if it continues the way we're continuing. Am I right? That's correct. And what, what year is it set in again? 2051. 2051. Oh my goodness, I'll be long gone. But, uh, 2051. Well, this is amazing. So 600 you guys parts per million. So, uh, Clark, yeah. Clark Owens, is the, you're the author of this. Where can your book be found? Um, you can order it on Amazon. If you actually go to the Amazon site, it will say temporarily out of stock. But mm-hmm. if you order it, they will get it. Okay. And you can oh also goodness. you can also get it from my publisher, which is Cosmic Egg. It's www.cosmicegg-books.com. It's a yeah, it's in the UK, but they have a distributor here in the US. How did they find you? How did you nice. find them? I just through the internet submissions Policy. submission process. And they said, "Wow, and you were imagine we hit the, the be the right thing at the right time in the right place, cosmic egg." Yeah, well, I mean, it's nice it because it's a, yeah, is that the Earth? Are we the cosmic I egg? I don't know. I don't know. Let's Google it. <laughs>
<laughs> Let's Google it. Well, that sound, both of you sound really interesting. And here you found each other. How long have you been together? So we married in 1991. We met, we met in 1981, I think. Oh, my goodness. Well, he's so. a star as a young woman in 81. He's flashing my mind. Do you have children? No. But you're, and you're both novelists? Yes, yeah. and poets. Yeah. And, and poets. poets. Yeah. Well, how beautiful. Yeah, and you lovely. Have, you have separate studies in your farmhouse? I mean, you're both writing at the same time. Do you take? Do you get up in the morning, have breakfast together, and then uh, retire to your writing writing space? How does that work? Uh, we we write uh, often in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon. Um, yes, we do have separate studies, and um, uh, I generally uh, take care of my animals and ride my horse, and then I go and write. Uh, I'm also a professor at Ashland University, so uh, sometimes I, I actually go and teach. Ashland, is that A-S-H, like Ashland a while? Uh, yeah, A-S-H-L-A-N-D. Wow, shoot. Uh, and um, so uh, uh, we, we, we spend a lot of time outside. Um, I'd, I'd also like to tell, I'd also like to ask the people of the cities, um, uh, we need your help. Uh, those who live in the country, who live over the Marcellus and the Utica Shale, uh, where the, the big oil and gas are drilling, we need your help. We need you to write to your representatives in, in the Congress and get them to put a stop to this horrible practice that is destroying the water and the land and uh, building pipelines. And of course, with the current government, um, that. Um, we have a very big job to do. Uh, the people do. of the country cannot do it on our own. We need the people of the cities to raise their voices on our behalf. Well, time for an uprising, Absolutely. for sure. Hell yeah, because not uh, you know, this side. Uh, yeah. Here, uh, we have Standing Rock. We have all the different places we share. Right. Where they're, but it's all about what did Bob Dylan saying? Money doesn't, money doesn't uh, talk. talk. It swears. It swears. <laughs> and the the the. Uh, the pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline, it's not completed, but they've been building it, and it already has leaked. It just leaked. There have yeah. been 18 leaks uh, in the pipeline, the, the uh, Rover Pipeline currently going through Ohio. Uh, there's also a Nexus Pipeline going through northern Ohio, going in, in areas where there's heavy population or considerable population. It is the same uh, company, Energy Transfer Partners, which built the or is building right. the Dakota Access Pipeline um, already just the rover pipeline has had 18 accidents that's one pipeline has had 18 accidents since they began and this is where Trump the president Donald Trump mr. president may or may not may very well have money uh, I mean he this dude is like an octopus whose tentacles spread to uh, spread whose tentacles go around the world at the edge end of every one is a Trump Tower <laughs> but uh, which he doesn't really own. He it's like a McDonald's. He sells the franchise to he sells just the collects name. his checks, mm -hmm. yeah. which he then puts into do does whatever it is that he does. Plus being president of the United States, plus having a son-in-law who's also got billions. It's just yeah. Amazing. And his son-in-law is uh, one of very close friends with Rupert Murdoch, who actually helped uh, set uh, Jared Kushner up with um, with Ivanka. So. Luke. Well, New Yorker, yeah, 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 intrigue yeah, yeah. there. Thank you, New Yorker. An octopus, tentacles going around the around the planet, tentacles going around our throat. I'll say to you both, you're going back to the farm. We're here in the cities, but we, hey, I'm saying to you, Val, and everybody out there, mm -hmm. we better get together. We better get together, and what we are here at Muni Radio is hopefully a voice of our getting together.
So thanks for your info. Keep uh, doing what you do. That's why he says that everybody does what they have to do and bring it together. We can do, be doing more together than any of us can do on our own. So I think of you out there on the farm, out there with your animal. What animals do you have? You have a horse, you mentioned. Um, well, uh, I have horses, and, and we, we have cats. Um, there are a great many uh, wild animals who live there as well. The, 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 lots and lots of deer and wow. raccoons and groundhogs and so on. Um, what we do mostly is garden. We, we grow a lot of our own food, and uh, we try to do everything as sustainably as possible. Beautiful. Uh, we're lucky that we uh, live in an area where there are, the farmers around us are also very environmentally conscious. I was wondering about that. They make use of um, cell grazing, which means rotating of, of cattle and sheep and so on. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're, you mentioned Ohio being a purple state. Well, there's a tremendous amount of you know, very right-wing belief, but there, there's a lot of people who don't, who don't buy into that. Like and we're everywhere. These, these are don't farmers. Forget. <laughs> and they they are very politically aware, and they and they make use of a lot of sustainable practices. So beautiful to know. Excellent. That's like our friends at Organic Valley, Dave. Exactly. Out well, of, yeah, up let in me Wisconsin. Say, right, that's good. To, to, let's remind ourselves. Uh, we're being sponsored. In fact, this does cost. There's a monthly fee to have this show to help keep this organic radio going. If you wonder how they keep going as well, and we're being sponsored by Organic Valley Family of Farms. Milk and cheese there in Lafarge. Have you heard of them? Uh, no. Yeah, check them out. Maybe you could bring them in. They're doing very well. They're almost a billion. I knew them when they were just getting started. Now they're almost a billion dollar co-op around this idea of family of farms co-op. And milk and cheese is what they do and eggs. So if you want to make some connections, that's what we're about is making connections. Uh, we belong to an organization called Ohio Ecological Food and Farm Association, and they have a convention every year, and there are thousands of people, and they are very interested in uh, sustainable agriculture, um, making sure that uh, the food that people eat is pure and, and unadulterated by, by uh, agribusiness and the companies that make use of agribusiness. Wow. Um, uh, I know people have the impression Ohio is really right wing and there are a lot of elements there but there are lots and lots of people are interested in these kinds of things and um, protecting the water and the land is, is certainly something that's that's very important right now wow well we definitely support you yes we do and we we're so glad that you, you came in today and came all the way to san francisco for a, a trip to visit family and and share your books and uh, again we've been talking with deborah fleming who wrote without leave who's going to be doing a reading at adobe books tomorrow that's saturday the 13th at 4 p.m and clark owens who wrote 600 ppm that's parts per million uh, a futuristic uh look at uh, maybe a, a worst case scenario um and maybe some some things we could learn from the present to avoid it so um it's been been a real pleasure connecting with you and I think to take out uh, this segment I'm going to play um, I'm going to play uh, the Crosby, Stills and Nash um, Four Dead in Ohio little Kent State um, you're listening to the Common Thread Collective here Mutiny Radio.fm San Francisco and around the planet on the Cosmic Egg <laughs>
espera su canción Pero yo no acaricio el intento Sé que un día regresó Pregúntome por mi amor Tuve que darle miedo solución, un sendero hacia el amor entre los tiempos. Y ahora suena una canción y en su ritmo está mi voz atrapada en deseo. Como dos islas en un volcán. Cierra los ojos, vuela hacia mí, resolvamos el misterio. No tengas miedo, no, solo sé tú, te confieso un secreto, que hay un lugar Cerca del mar, donde mi amor siempre es eterno, en el tiempo. No está parado el reloj, pero sé que el amor... All right, you are listening to the Common Thread Collective here at MutinyRadio.fm, San Francisco. That was a little music from our friend Santi Anjou, uh, a Spaniard uh, who is around the city, plays uh, at Ca- uh, Revolution Cafe over on 22nd and, and around. Um, you can find him at Santi, S-A-N-T-I, dot Anjou, E-N-G-U-I-X at gmx.ch um, and so I see up on the stage speaking of uh, of the of the hippie culture uh, we've, we've got our friend Rainbow and uh, I, he's got his guitar and probably some original songs to share and I see that Bloodflower is up there with him at his side with the melodica so uh, take it away guys please give us so a couple much, of songs uh, Val, Dave uh, and I'd like to introduce my good friend Bloodflower on the melodica. And to celebrate Mother's Day, I'd like to do this one called Universal Woman. children before they come to total destruction a universal woman universal woman 
I'm the same You're flowing in and out of me Hey, you know that's a woman Can I lay down by your side Where show the world that loves the way Bloodflower was playing that melodica like it was a harmonica. Oh, man. What a trip. How'd you do that? How'd you I'm do that? Blessed, and that man. is so a Bloodflower original, as they are. Take it away, Bloodflower. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, 
Could I do another one then? Hey, I, I just wanted to say like that, once upon a time, the Grateful Dead wanted to know in one of their songs, Are You Kind? So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. This name of this song is called Thinking of Ways to Be Kind, you know? So anyway, here it goes.
Thank you. Oh, Thank you so Rainbow. much. Thank you for having me on today, uh, Val, Dave, Hope, uh, and uh, one more then. Okay. Speaking of mother, this is for the uh, Mother Earth. There's a sweet girl Someplace in the world But don't you ever be is a cesspool Take a look at the skin that you're living in I thought that God bless you, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. 
now, now, come on now. Every time. Rainbow. Rainbow. Oh, God bless you guys. Rainbow. Rainbow. You'll be such a rainbow kind of dude. <laughs> rainbow. rainbow Blues. So good special, to see you. Special. I've been a little worried. Blues. I haven't seen him for a while. Musicians and spirit. Awesome. Awesome. Some of the, folks the Common Thread Collective Rainbow. would not be the same without Rainbow. Oh, my goodness. Rainbow, I love you, brother. So glad you're here. And now I have to see the library lady. Allison is here. And Richard. So, Allison. Uh, Allison, I call the library lady because she is a librarian at the Mission Branch just down this up 24th Street, then down 24th Street, Mission Branch. So, Allison, what's going on? What do you have to bring to the mix? Well, um, hi, everybody. Hi. Um, good start. A lot of you know that ICE has been dropping in on people. Talk into it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Dropping in on people um, or asking them to come in to review their status. But there are people, uh, everybody thinks it's like somewhere else, like Florida, New York, uh, Rutgers University was the latest. It's happening right here in California. Um, people will come in to have their status checked, and then the next day they're picked up at home, um, taking their kids to school. Um, today I heard about a lady who um, she had been here since she was four. Went, grew up, um, had a family. The government had promised to review their immigration policies in the 80s, and then again in the 90s, and then again under uh, Bush the second, and um, <clears throat> and then uh, President Obama did back the DACA, but everyone's status is still up in the air and now daca uh, the government some branches some ice branches are turning their backs on pr promises that they have themselves made to families and so um with all of that in mind the library is partnering with the um with a local organization to help bring uh, informational programs to many branches. Um, immigrant services programs hosted by the San Francisco Public Library, May and June. Our website is sfpl.org. There's probably a link to it from our main website. Um, <clears throat> the Mission Branch is having a program tomorrow in Spanish. It's called Know Your Rights, uh, Conozca Sus Derechos. It's presented by the SFILEN, which is the San Francisco Information Legal Resources Network. Um, it has a longer name in Spanish, but it's SFILEN.org. They have a list of resources in English and Spanish. Um, there will also be some programs presented in Chinese um, and in English. Um, I don't know if there's going to be one in Russian. People might want to call the Richmond branch to find out. But um, 
S-F-I-L-E-N has many resources on their website, and uh, but Call the Library will be glad to get you connected with resources as well. There are many here in the Bay Area. So Mission Branch tomorrow, 11 o'clock, Konoska Sus Derechos. And like I said, these programs will be happening in May and June. You can look for the little booklet with the Statue of Liberty on it. It's called, it just says, All Are Welcome. Such a such thank you. That's so important. I mean, considering like you're saying, where you know, these the immigration status may be pending or under review or supposed up for review, and yet people who are trying to follow these protocol and trying to do the right thing are getting their backs turned on them and getting Mm -hmm. detained and uh, you know incarcerated and deported in some cases. and destroying, pulling apart families of, you know, people who, you know, it's not even this whole witch hunt for like people who have criminal records, even though there's a lot of people with criminal records who never got convicted of anything. Um, so it's a it's a pretty uh, scary time. So I'm glad to know that the San Francisco Public Library is st- is stepping forward to try to help the various communities in our city and for, for people all around who are welcome to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple um, other websites that are they're on the back of the flyer. Citizenshipworks.org is an online service that guides you through every step of your application. And then there's another one called IMMI, I-M-M-I dot O-R-G. IMMI helps immigrants in the U.S. understand their legal options. Um, check out these websites. Check out S-F-I-L-E-N. Um, it's my understanding that they have, well, the, they're mostly hooked up with a variety of San Francisco and Bay Area resources. Thank you. This would be one of the services that you put out so well that the library is here to do. Because the library is here to do is is here to do it is right here in our neighborhood, one of those pla- one of those places you can just walk right mm-hmm. in. And is there anything else you'd like to speak of uh, since you're here? Well, um, the Mission Library is going to have an open house May twentieth. If May you can't 20th. come tomorrow. Um, you know, drop in at our open house. We have a variety of activities, including poetry with uh, Pandulce poets from right here in the neighborhood. 20th. Yes, that's May 20th. Um, we'll start off with face painting. And um, we also have um, mariachi, a youth mariachi group will come. Um, call us for, for more info or check out our Facebook or the webpage sfpl.org and click on mission and go from there or just and drop by 24th and Bartlett we're open every day every day and we're here every day and, yeah. and we're Ricardo, here uh, uh, is the curator for uh, the Pantoso po- uh, Poets um, I am not 100% um, sure who's curating Pandose um, Poets. But it's uh, Ricardo, but I'm trying to remember his last name. Sorry, Ricardo. Well, you're and then be I, I don't know if they're we, still at the bakery, but I do no, know that we're going to ha- offer some Pandose from the bakery at our event. And people can come and ask the poets themselves. 
What's um, going on with Pandos Hip Hop? And there'll be another uh, another Friday between now and then, I That's believe. That's right. And you'll be able to give us more information if indeed you come through, and we sure like to have you come through. You're a regular member of this collective, Allison. So thanks for coming here and being here and being you and being a librarian. Very important. Mm-hmm. Public you. resources. I just want to give one shout out. Okay, give us one more shout out. Amy Goodman at Democracy Now! Amy every Goodman. day, beginning with Monday. Instead of just focusing on Washington, reminded us about Hanford. Um, Early Monday morning, a sinkhole broke open in Hanford, Washington at the nuclear power plant. There were nine reactors there before it closed down. Um, If anybody thinks all the news is in Washington... Um, there's other stuff going on. Thank you, Amy Goodman. Thank Amy. you, Democracy Now! And she also every day has updates on ICE and DACA and is interviewing people around the U.S. Amy, about Amy, what's going on there. Amy Dace, um, it's a great resource for those of us who don't have lots of time to gather information. And she's an amazing human being who's now on an endless tour. Uh, she, she's heading in this direction. She's going to be here very soon, this week, I believe. Uh, hop, hopping like a butter, like a bee from flower to flower, from city to city, from town to town, from school to school, college to college. Amy Goodman, and uh, her, you can get her every Monday at every every day. I can, I hear her very early in the morning because I'm an early waker at six o'clock in the morning on KPFA. Or she do then then they have uh, uh, on point and the other one and then uh, at nine o'clock Amy Goodman's on again with Democracy Now and I think you can uh, Google her and get it any time of the day too. So thanks Amy, thanks Allison, thanks everybody. Good to know. And here be uh, here be our brother Richard, another regular member of our troop. Hey Richard, what what did you bring to the feast today? Oh, um, time is shortening. Shortening, shortening. (laughs) No, it actually don't stop it. Sing us a song, Richard. Kind of made me smile. It's Mother's Day, right? The brain, Stephen Hawkins, gives 100 years left on the planet. If true, maybe we should stop killing. Life, death comes for universes, one day for our mother. Nothing is permanent, yet never destroyed. So what becomes of us all? Many ways to kill ourselves, but I'm betting on the cosmos and its chaos. (laughs) Meteor here and a comet there. Sad to say, but it might be what saves us and mother from us. They've been, there's been many close calls lately. This cannot be understated. One between us and the moon. If mother is not blown apart, it will destroy our technology, pollution, from our petrochemicals. It will be Earth healing herself. It may be beautiful, a beautiful sight from space, seeing Earth being terraformed. Not so much for us. Beautiful cosmos creates universes which black holes clean up after. So please, before our end, let's find some love, understanding. Peace might follow. 
Grab it, dance, make love to it, music, speak. I'm no saint or Buddha, humanity. Know your best while monitoring your innate primitive to know when to pull back or move forward. Yeah, that's right. Peace, love, and understanding. Understand? You know these things we have yet to attain. Maybe it's time to party down like it's 1491. <laughs> 1491. All right. A time of. All right. Sky with one purity. white spot. Under sky, gray with small white spot, music caresses, coaxes, tickles, escapes to infinitude. On the hill, oud player, drummer, sits behind belly dancer who claps, clappers, shakes, spins, snakes herself around the circle as she spins around, around, hair flying behind her, comes back to the center. Hips move, stomach undulates, feet lightly touches earth, so the beats can be seen as well as heard. This is what rhythm looks like, what it can do. This is the kind of thing that makes cold sweat. Happy to be alive, it is a dance of beauty driven by melody and rhythm. Sky with one white spot shines on dancer. Don't let our resident rump kill this cultural beauty. Your sense of rhyme, sense of who you are. I'm so proud and happy to be able to, be able to bring you each and every week oh. right here on the Common Thread Collective. Is that right, uh, uh, Val? Yeah, you, you know Val. Val? <laughs> Val? I concur. He, she concurs. We be doing it right well, here. I do have one for Mother. Oh, give oh, us good. one for Mother. Uh, well, but it's, I think I re- I'm not sure. I, I think I might have read this because this is about the mother of all bombs. All right. Mother. Mother Superior jumps mother of all bombs. Humans stand on the corner of Mother Earth and infinity. They watch witnesses of other human beings lose their minds, lives. They distort the mother. She no longer is the life giver but taker. Mother Superior jumps many things but could not jump mother of all bombs. Mother Superior becomes mother inferior, lessened, weakened as in humanity. When you see your mother, kiss her. Kiss her for all of us. But as with all things, just because she's a mother doesn't make her a mother. Some just pass on behavior that makes them more like mothers. Mother Superior jumps Mother Earth because she knows Mother Earth's patience is running thinner and thinner and thinner. Like the polar ice caps, her caring for us is melting away. Richard, that's there you go. It in Fukushima. Oof. Wow. Uh, and still in Chernobyl. Well, I yeah, I, still in Chernobyl. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, and what, all the other places we don't know about. Right. Well, you know, Harry Shearer does his show every week called Le Show, yeah. and it's uh, they play it locally here on KALW ninety one point seven. Um, but he's all over the place. He produced they produce it out of uh, New Orleans, and um, he has a whole segment on there about. He always it's almost every week that he does it. Yeah. About um, 
the he does like nuclear power updates and all these these terrible you know failures of regulation and you know lies on behalf of the of the the plants themselves and you know all, all this news um and it's he he really follows it quite well and jumps around to different parts of the of the world to well, acknowledge well the question is, is I, I don't know if you remember uh i remember when they started saying oh it's a national sacrifice area so like when they exploded the bombs oh those you know the though that's a na- 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 national sacrifice area Do you mean like- yeah, yeah, the, yeah, those places. Na- and, but but then it became natural. chemical spills and, you know, these coal uh, uh, sledge spills. And, you know, well, they, they all also became national sacrifice areas. So I have a question. How much area, more area do we have to sacrifice? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's true. Wake up. I mean, yeah, it doesn't, uh, I, mean not- I know the money's good. <laughs> For some people, I know where I grew up, the farmers make a hell of a good living. Of course, they're dying of cancers, but they're making a hell of a good living. Now, how long is that going to last? Right. Plus, the food that they're raising is killing us. I have a poem I wrote. What do you say to us? Mm-hmm. What do you say to your wife when she comes down with breast and cervical cancer? What do you say to yourself when you come down with prostate? Or what do you say to your kids when they come down with leukemia? What do you say to us? Yeah. Well, what do you say to us? Those are rhetorical questions. Question, questions at this point require no answer. That's why we're not. So, Richard, but we're working I, like, I, li- I actually like your Bon Appetit poem. Oh, you like my Bon Appetit? You want <laughs> yes. me to read that? Yeah, give us do you have that Richard. in front of you? Because I oh. think it speaks to that. Because you're talking about these natural sacrifice zones, right? But, I mean, it's not like it's contained... It, no, everything you, you goes out, no. and and you're talking about all of this these poor decisions that have been made, um, that just endanger um, people's lives yeah, um, well, for okay. the sake I, of I, I have it up. profit or staying right. in the game. Bon appetit. In California, fracking water is used in growing your food. Bon appetit. Rump signed away the Clean Water Act, which allows shit from farming to run into your waterways. Bon appetit. Your rainwater is radioactive from Fukushima, meaning the flora and fauna, and the food we eat is radioactive. Maybe it's Japanese payback. Bon appetit. San Francisco drinking water is the same as Flint in Flint, Michigan. As in Flint, we add chloramine and ammonia, which leaches out lead from pipes and fixtures. Dialysis patients can't use this city water. Bon appetit. Well, this I just happen to pick up my phone. I do. And there's CNN. It sent me a special message. Am I talking or? Okay, special message. Michelle Obama slams Trump on school about school meals. Bon appetit. Here's bon appetit. School meals. Uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama expressed concern while they're slamming and here is expressed concern Friday over the Trump's administration decision to scale back school meal nutritional requirements. Can you imagine, can you imagine the lobbyists who say, well, well, here, Trump, this is what you want to do, scale back nutritional requirements so we can make even more money. 
Yeah, and and you have to let me I mean, finish that. Okay, go ahead. I don't know. I mean, also uh, part of the the discussion is how it would, um, you know, this like school lunch program anyway um, would not be available to immigrants. To the non uh, for that documented non. Ketchup is vegetable. You have to be documented to get yeah. to school lunch. And how lunch. can school lunches really get any worse? I'm you have to stop and think. This is, uh, this is Michelle talking. Why don't you want our kids to have good food in schools? What is wrong with you? And why is that a partisan issue? Now she's slamming. Uh, uh, this is more than expressing concern. What's wrong with you? And why, why is that a partisan issue? She said at the annual summit of the Partnership for a Healthier America, a nonprofit that works with the private and public sectors to fight child obesity. Why would that be political? Obama's comments come a little over a week after Agricultural Secretary Sonny Perdue signed a proclamation that relaxes standards to the upcoming school, school year in three great main areas. Key areas, whole grains, salt, and milk. Under the new proclamation, this is a proclamation, states will be able to grant exemptions to schools, experience hardship in meeting the 100% whole, whole grain rich standard. Schools will longer need to hit the strictest target for lowering it's sodium in, uh, in foods offered to students. And meal programs will be able to serve students 1% flavored milk instead of fat-free flavored milk. Back. The policy change loosened school meal standards. Obama advocated as the first lady through Let's Move. Let's Move, her signature public health campaign and aimed at combating childhood obesity. You know, is there anything that Obama came up with? This is how the program started. Am I right? Anything in the program started? This is how our show started with. Were you talking about the uh, going from Obama, uh, Obama, uh, Obama health to Trump health? Right. And now we're going full circle back to Michelle. Anything that Obama with Obamas were for, Trump is uh, is against. And anything which they can do to make money for those lobbyists that uh, that back Trump. That's right. He's for it, so. It's, it's, it's called food apartheid. It's called something. Yeah. It's and called it's, food so, apartheid. Yeah. And the poor get all the poison food, and the rich can afford to go organic. Well, we better get together, brothers and brothers yeah. and sisters, and, and mothers a, and fathers. And another part of the um, the health care bill is um, kind of going back to what um, our library lady was saying about immigration. Um, one of the things, because it re, it re um, the the American Health Care Act um, also would. Uh, it, it amends a lot of the Medicare, um, which is under the Social Security Act, uh, Medicaid rather. So basically, um, it, 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 it would no longer require states to give people an opportunity or enough time of an opportunity to produce documents to show a satisfactory immigration status. So saying states don't have to give anybody, anybody any amount of reasonable time to produce those documents. If a state um, elects to do so, they want to give people time to gather their documents to prove a satisfactory immigration status, the federal government will not give money to those states until those uh, for any uh, you know health care that's that's given to these people until that documentation has been submitted to the federal government 
We're gonna have a we're gonna have a lot of sick people all across and the country. We got a lot of sick people. You get infectious diseases, which will spread throughout the communities. Well, every day a natural, every day another atrocity. We better get together, the brothers and sisters. We better it's get together. Right. And so it's one thing to do all this complaining, but and, but to build from it. That's right. Say, let's get together. Let's but know those. why you're mad. Why hit them straight? Be able to articulate it. Yeah. Well, that's what we're here to, here to do. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to read a poem from Dylan Thomas, and then I'm going to play some Can't Heat and their song, Let's Work Together. Let's work so together. here's here's the Dylan Thomas from his collected works. Thank you, Library Lady, for, for um, giving us this book last week. And this poem is called Find Meat on the Bones. Find meat on the bones that soon have none. And drink in the two milked crags, the merriest marrow and the drags, before the ladies' breasts are hags and the limbs are torn. Disturb no winding sheets, my son, but when the ladies are cold as stone, then hang a ram rose over the rags. Rebel, rebel against the binding moon and the parliament of sky, the king crafts of the wicked sea, autocracy of night and day, dictatorship of sun. Rebel against the flesh and bone, the word of the blood, the wily skin, and the maggot no man can slay. The thirst is quenched, the hunger gone, and my heart is cracked across. My face is haggard in the glass. My lips are withered with a kiss. My breasts are thin. A merry girl took me for a man. I laid her down and told her sin and put beside her a ram rose. The maggot that no man can kill and the man no rope can hang. Rebel against my father's dream that out of the bower of red swine howls the foul fiend to heal. I cannot murder like a fool. Season and sunshine, grace and girl, nor can I smother the sweet waking. Black night still ministers the moon, and the sky lays down her laws. The sea speaks in a kingly voice. Light and dark are no enemies, but one companion. War on the spider and the wren. War on the destiny of man. Doom on the sun. Before death takes you, oh, take back this. Together we'll stand, divided we'll fall. Come on now, people, let's get on the ball and work together. Come on, come on, let's work together. You know, together we will stand, every boy, girl, woman, and a man. 
Yeah, canned heat. Let's work together. You listen to the Common Thread Collective, MutinyRadio.fm, San Francisco. And we're, we've got about another 15 minutes or so, and then we'll be wrapping up the show. So here in the studio, I've got our friends Jack Melander, who's been uh, writing quite a bit. Um, and thankfully coming in to share his work here and and came to poems on the dome and was able to do that and we've got our and we've got uh gary here with a, some, some 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 political intrigue and updates so gary why don't we why don't we start with you what you got going on what's well, what's your actually, message today the multiple grand juries both in uh the state of new york which might be pivotal and the federal government itself which is tantalizing because there's a rumor that not only are 42 targets being assessed by the federal grand juries for both RICO and FARA, Foreign Agent Registration Act, cases potentially, and these are rumors, you can go to palmerreport.com. That is, for me, the opiate of the masses these days. You can make any accusation you want about Palmer Report. It regularly asks questions that drive the mainstream media bananas. So, you know, it's kind of my own anti-Trump porn. I admit, Palmer Report is my anti-Trump slash porn. So it, it, the, the rumored targets are numerous. One of them is the Republican Party itself for RICO charges related to a meeting that has allegedly occurred and been taped by multiple NATO-allied foreign intelligence oh, agencies. Oh. This meeting would have possibly been in Cleveland, I believe, last summer during the Republican convention with the Russian ambassador or spymaster Kislyk and foreign minister trading hundreds of millions of dollars in cash. Cash for Republican. This is not, this is not all fact. Cash for Republican operations on the ground for Ukraine. So these are the allegations, the racketeering if this is true and not simply tinfoil rumor, what I talked about last week pales in comparison to the Republican Party. Now, the firing of Director Comey proved that while he may have some issues, he's a patriot. And welcome to the resistance, Mr. Comey. <laughs> Strange bed flow, those is getting polyamorously large and awkward. Okay. So... It's true. <laughs> You'd be it's, well, that, that's the thing. I, I am in the same breath with uh, Dick Cheney, who says this was an act of war, and the Koch brothers. And, and the firing of Mr. Comey was partly to put the husband of a Clinton loyalist uh, into the acting, directing position of the FBI so Trump could sell the narrative that this is all... Clinton loyalist anti-Trump propaganda that's going to be coming out of the FBI very shortly. They had an armada of trucks in courthouse parking lots in Virginia. And what's interesting is that um, Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, his parents were Hillary Clinton's largest contributors <laughs> when she ran for Senate in New York. When and she ran for the New York, it just gets more and more and Every more week. complicated. Yeah, it's just very intimate. Every week. More complicated. It's very Obviously. intimate. And of oh, course, Hillary's back, being an activist and a member of the resistance now. So we're all safe. It took her it's long going to be okay. Hillary's like... back. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> well, anyway, right. your humor, your irony, your irony. I don't know, Republican. Your irony. <laughs> Your irony, Gary's persuasive. We'll see what happens in the week to come with the firing 
with the, the, this uh, circle, circular firing squad that seems to be going on. With all these folks, I can hardly I wake up in the morning, hardly wait to put on the radio and hear uh, KPFA or NPR and get the latest skinny. And, all that. and I cast the characters that Trump brings up to speak for him. They're ready to say anything to those folks, those two women and this one guy. Oh, my goodness. It's just a head-shaking time of the time of our life. Is this like Watergate, Dave? It's even more so than Watergate. Watergate was just about a break-in, a break-in, and trying to cover up of a break-in. But this involves Russia. This involves a possible treason. This involves the stuff which has been going on, which, as you know yourself, as you can say, is be kept down, but you can just keep it kept down for so long, and then the boiling pot explodes. The pressure cooker goes boom. So we'll see well, what happens, Gary. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you for, for coming in every Dave. week to bring us the, uh, and that's the Palmer Report. PalmerReport.com is the sauciest. There's also Trumpistan.com, Trumpistan. which drills down deep, but a little weird. It gets a little tin hatty. There was also testimony from a former FBI agent this week that measured active that mentioned active measures forty seven times. <laughs> that that Dude. conspiracy theory from Tsarist Russia. So hopefully uh, this has been informative. To be continued. Palmer report. I'm gonna take nice. a look at that as soon as I get it, I have a chance to take a look at it. In other words, just before I go into uh, uh, Dreamland tonight, Palmer Report. Oh my goodness! Well, uh, keep up the good work, brother. And hey, uh, and you have some stuff Hi, Jack. to return with. A couple of short math and science poems. Okay, beautiful. Um, in some young athlete's wild elation, endorphins' powerful sensation is warped through power. I always say, you slow down a bit. We're not. We're we're, uh, we're doing. Right. We have time. We're very well defined. Okay. You can. You can. Uh, and, in some young athlete's wild elation, endorphins' powerful sensation is warped through pride and tell at length they use for ill their boon of strength. Their victims into minds' pursuits once driven tap a desperate gift till vanity's now in cahoots with wealth. Yes, mended is the rift between them and the bully who is furnished guns with handles pearled, who spread control through regions new, their countrymen, and then the world. Uh, two. Why should the animal merely be, if body truly desire to feel? What mind must think I cannot see to say that thought alone is real. Oh, let the brain attain some ruth upon the much distracted heart, for earth and people health is truth. Should any man then take fate's part? Let us therefore don our animal nature. It's time individuals once more got rugged, and freedom recur to the joy of the storm, looking again toward our rights and their future from homes all techno-snoopery buggered. From the garrets, for the garrets wiser than the dorm, exultance in physical energies does captured hearts untether. From blandishments of fear them freeze in any change of the mental weather. Change of the mental weather. I, I really liked your your style, Jack. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, this stuff. <laughs> nice. Well, we we are here every Friday, so f- thank you for coming down today and and the past couple weeks, and we'll be doing it again next Friday. Um, and also a couple of announcements as as May keeps flowing past us. Um, 
uh, next Friday is the 19th, and we'll be announcing it again, but uh, there's going to be another Kasi Dot um, poetry reading at Adobe Books. That's going to be on Sunday, uh, May 21st from 4 to 6 p.m. at Adobe Books, um, the, the Darling Buds of May. We have James Ellis, uh, Richard Sandrell, D. Allen, E.K. Keith, yours truly, Global Val. Um, hopefully, Winsong can come and play some music. Uh, Clara Sue and Kim Shuck. So uh, we will um, we'll be there on the 21st. That's at Adobe Books over there, right around the corner from us on 24th Street. And um, other dates to be announced coming up in June as well. Another Kasi Dot uh, early this time uh, at six, on June 10th. It's in tandem with the Paseo Artistico Calle 24 um, Art Walk. So very cool. Thank you, Bloodflower, for curating these cool events and all of our friends who who do so many rich and varied things and uh and we're so happy to be here uh to provide a platform and a community space here at mutiny radio especially here on the common thread collective and a voice of and in fact i'd like to say to folks we have these three hours pretty much so close to three hours each and every friday spread the word we cast a wide net Whatever you be, you be your way of expressing yourself, by all means, come on through. Whatever it is you would like to join with our, our vast listening audience, uh, we had 4,500 downloads last month alone, and we have no idea how, how many people are li- listening live, but I guess something similar, because if I was listening to this, I would listen live, and maybe on a sec- second choice, a distant choice, I'd listen to a podcast. So, uh, this, uh, folks, when we say us, we mean you. When we say us, we mean you, we mean we. This be the we, a voice of the people, or by a people, a voice of the resistance. Is that right, Val? The resistance, but, but I like your spin of uh, not calling it a retreat, but an advance. So maybe we should think of a different word than a resistance. Okay, well, resistance Let's, let's try it. Yeah. Let's, we don't have to think about it right now. Yeah, but and everybody else high. think about that. Let's try to, let's try to reframe and, um, uh, the way we say things and, and push positivity out there because we need to counterbalance all this, all this bad news. Uh, well, uh, I don't know quite where at the moment. Maybe you can tell me what's wrong with the resistance, spelling the resistance. When I heard about the resistance in France, uh, uh, la resistance. yeah, no, I mean, it's a revolutionary me. phrase. Absolutely. The resistance is what we're about, and the resistance to me, but let's, uh, you're, you're right. What? Transistence. And the insistence. Okay, transistence, or transcendence, or transcendentalists. Or whatever. Thank you, thank you, Richard. Transistence. But what it is is what it is, and we're a voice of all of that. Right here in San Francisco, where? Uh, where I always like to say, I say many times, well, Trump says he's going to build his wall. Well, we're building a wall. It's a wall of love with a rainbow bridge. And the undocumented and the documented, we're all, you're all invited. And the only people not invited, the, 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 bridge will come, the bridge will come down, slump, will go up, uh, with, for ice and for any of, uh, any of cronies, uh, the cronies of Trump. Then they, they, boop, it goes up. What is it? It goes up, boop, it goes up. But anyway, but behind this wall of, wall of love, putting forth these words. So Val, yeah. thanks for all of you, you do. And you, Dave. And we're right here. 
And it's a, I don't, to get here, it's ouch, 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 but I make it. It just takes me three times longer to walk a block than I did before. Ouch, ouch, ouch. But it raises my spirits no end to be able to hear and be talking to all, all manner of people. Talk to you all next week. Keep up the love, peace, love, and understanding, and joy. And joy. That is it. Thank you for listening to the Common Thread Collective. We will be back next week. And, uh, you know, we just want to bring people some good news. So, you know, here's a little here's a little throwback if you know what this reference is. Uh, enjoy. And peace. And we love you. And uh, keep up the good work. You can't be my best of friends as opposed to paying dues. But don't nobody bring me no bad news. Thanks for listening to the show. Stay tuned. In about 
half an hour or so, 45 minutes. It's going to be the happy hour open mic here, hosted by Pam Tastic. And of course, Friday night always has Pam Tastic's Comedy Clubhouse. Come on down and uh, listen to a showcase of hand-picked folks um, and uh, enjoy a show here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street, right at the corner of 21st in Florida. We sure are glad that you appreciate what we do, and we appreciate you. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Um, we are ending a little bit earlier these days. It just really helps my commute. So I appreciate uh, that. And uh, I'm going to throw on a podcast from a while back and uh, do a little time travel here. So peace to you all. Through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. Yeah. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship.
got it in we. We got it in we to change reality. To change reality. That was uh, Sacred Red. That was um, Sea Star from the Big Island. Oh, so beautiful. She said that she got in me to change reality, and I'll just say, we got it within we to change reality. And that's what we're about here. That's right. Happy Friday. This is the Common Thread Collective here at MutinyRadio.fm. And I want to say Shabbat Shalom to everybody. Peace. I want to say Happy Freya's Day. And uh, uh, if people don't know, I'm about to uh, I'm about to take off uh, uh, Val. I'm about to go off on my on my on my North American tour. Yep. But you'll be holding it down. I will. I will, and you'll be our far out, far flung correspondent, every, calling in on Fridays. Every Friday, I'll call in with the phone in my hand. Yep. I'm talking about Missoula, Minneapolis, points in between, New York City, and then before we get off, off, uh, we'll have to look the off, off the, the grid, off the grid, and the Rainbow Gathering, and the Green Mountains of Vermont, all of that. Uh, and then afterwards. We're, we're uh, afterwards of going down to uh, Philadelphia with Felipe, hopefully getting a caravan together and, uh, and, uh, and feeding the people. And I'm calling it, this is the first time you're here on this station, I'm calling it Occupy Philly, Occupy Liberty during the Democratic Convention. And inviting the Bernie delegates, be sure to come on, don't give up. Come on through. I hope Bernie will issue a Hugh Manifesto saying all your delegates, there's hundreds of de- Bernie delegates who have never done this before, were elected uh, outside of the political structure. He's not a Democrat, remember, he's a Democratic Socialist. And I hope they come to town and we'd be occupying, and that's a dream I have. Well, may the dreams come true. Well, that's today, too. It's a question of saying uh, planet on the planet to a degree. Well, anyway, we got Ubi. We do have Ubi. We're going to play because... uh even when things get a little just out of hand, Ubi lets us know, don't worry so much. Everything's going to be, gonna be all, right. all right. Sometimes I wonder where do the blues come from? Up and down, sometimes it's not so Oh, my God. 
Thank you, Ubi, for letting us know everything is going to be all right. Thanks for listening to the Common Thread Collective here on MutinyRadio.fm. I'm Global Val. I'm here with Diamond Dave, and I'm here with James Zealous, who's our guest interviewer today, um, because we have a a rather esteemed guest, an author and poet and scholar, uh, Mr. Peter Dale Scott. So, uh, James Zealous, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Global Val. Um, I say I'm very excited uh, to be here at the Common Third Collective and to have uh, our guest who will be in in a moment, Mr. Peter Dale Scott. Peter, I'm, I'm definitely here. I'm definitely in a good good situation. Uh, James is going to be interviewing you in a bit later. I might have some questions to jump in and uh, jump in. It's good to hear your voice again. Hey, Peter. Yeah, I'm here. I'm looking forward to this. Well, we're doing it. The past shakes hands of the future to the now, right now. Take it away, James. Welcome to the Common Theater Collective, Mr. Scott. Uh, Welcome. I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Very good. Um, your work was brought to my attention by our Poet Laureate of the United States Emeritus, Mr. Uh, Robert Hass, who uh, wrote an essay of, uh, describing uh, one of three books he wrote, a very unique trilogy, Seculum. Uh, the first of those three books is what Mr. Hass uh, wrote an, uh, an essay about and can be found in uh, What Light Can Do. And that was your book, Coming to Jakarta. I hope you could share with us today some thoughts on that trilogy. I understand you have some recent work, a, a book about the writing of the trilogy. Is that correct? Well, yes, well, that book is still in process. The, the poem, uh, Coming to Jakarta, it occupied me for a decade in the 1980s. I began, I was acutely depressed in 1980 for a number of reasons which come up in the poem, one of them being the election of Ronald Reagan. Uh, and I wrote it very quickly, almost on impulse, in about six weeks, and then spent uh, eight years refining it and rewriting it. And in the course of that time, um, Bob Hass, uh, he and I were both teaching at Cal at that time, and he gave it to a a version of it to his class to read. And uh, then I got some input from the class, and one of the people in the class actually helped me a lot. The occasion for the poem is the massacre in Indonesia in 1965. Still, a lot of people in America are not very aware of the fact, I mean, all the devastation being done by ISIS now is is nothing really compared to, we don't know how many people were killed. A, a, a low estimate, the lowest estimate is about 250,000. The safe estimate is uh, half a million, but a lot of people believe it was more than a million, maybe even as much as two million. And, of course, nothing ISIS has done begins to compare to that. <clears throat> and the targets were, first of all, the, the, the Communist Party in Indonesia, which was the, the most westernized uh, party in Indonesia. And in a sense, uh, pro, people with Western ideas were the targets of this massacre. And in this case, uh, I believed and had written that the CIA was uh, helping out, and British intelligence, MI6, were helping out. And this just made me feel terrible that uh, there was this massacre, it had happened, and nobody knew about it in America. And that's what uh, led to a kind of uh, 
I thought of it as a breakdown time. I think it was really more like some kind of panic attack. The, it, the, the attack lasted only 12 hours or so through a night when I couldn't sleep. But I began to write my way out of it, and uh, I did a lot of very rapid writing, not knowing where it was going. I didn't know it was going to be a poem about about Jakarta or about Indonesia until I'd written about 20 pages. Anyway, that's the book that caught Bob Hass's attention, other people's attention, too. It's my best-known poem, I think. And um, and uh, so, yes, he, at the time, he said it was the most important political poem to have been written in the English language for a very long time. So that made me feel better. I went from being very depressed to feeling much better that my depression had led to a product other people liked. As many authors write to heal, this is a poem of healing. It is germane to the conversation, I would I would argue, as we look at the security state, at the activities yes, yes, of the NSA. I felt that it, it very much was a, a, a process of healing for me, uh, but I feel that uh, there's some kind of analogy to the way that uh, nations heal. This has been particularly difficult for Indonesia because what happened as a result of the massacre was the imposition of a political dictatorship, military dictatorship. Um, and the man who came in in 1965 was there until he was ousted for corruption in 1998. And even for a decade after that, the military still ran the country. And you were not allowed to mention the massacre unless you called it the PKI Gestapo, in other words, blaming it on the PKI, which is the Communist Party. The Communist Party did not inaugurate this massacre. They were the victims of it, and they were blamed for it. For the uh, There was a coup attempt, which was, I think, a false flag attempt blamed on the Communists. And uh, for so until I think 19, 2007 or something like that, quite recently, you could go to jail if you didn't, if you mentioned the massacre and didn't blame it on the PKI. And they had a, a whole warehouse full of textbooks that were destroyed in 2007 because uh, they had failed to do the obligatory thing, blame it on the PKI. So uh, the country now is getting out of that, and there have been two movies by an American, Josh Oppenheimer, both of them nominated for an Oscar, by the way, long feature documentaries. First one, The Act of Killing. <clears throat> the second one, The Look of Silence. And because they were on the internet and the government could do nothing about it, Indonesia is now waking up, so to speak, beginning to talk about this thing, having conferences about it. They're going, I think, it's been decided by the government that they will have a, some kind of truth and conciliation, reconciliation process. So uh, you can, t there has been a great healing and art in the form of these two movies uh, played a big role in that act of healing. And if I could b blow my own horn here, I got an unsolicited email from this Josh Oppenheimer, who 
I had never met or heard of until then, saying that he had been influenced by my poem and by my prose in making the movie. So there's, um, you know, that, that really makes me feel good that art can have a good social function. I, for, uh, for 20 years, I thought I'd been totally useless and that my art wasn't affecting anything at all. But I have a better feeling about it now because of Josh Oppenheimer's movies. Uh, well, I'm just going to jump in with one question. I've been reading late, getting to what uh, two archipelagos, the Indonesia, where his massacres took place, and the Philippines. Now, yeah, as I know, in the Philippines, there's the been... Archipelago, one blends into the other. That's what I'm talking about. Before the coming of the, uh, the Dutch and the, the, the Dutch and the Spanish, they were blended perfectly. They were blended fine, but uh, but now we have two archipelagos. That's one through uh, through just uh, political boundaries. One is the Philippines, where they did have those those discussions, where there was not uh, the kind of massacre. In fact, discussions did take place between the Communist Party of the Philippines, the New People's Army, and the and and the government, and they seem to have come to that uh, kind of uh, kind of a truce. Yeah, a kind of a truce. Were there two well, Philippines, Red Philippines, and trouble? I think, and the man they've just elected in the Philippines. Uh, I, I haven't really researched him, but I've seen allegations that he was in charge of repressive units that were some people have called death squads. So they're they're not free of violence, but there's nothing nothing like the violence that you had. This kind of huge frenzy. It was. It, it went, I think, beyond what anyone had originally imagined. The, the, the army certainly started the massacring, but uh, it, 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 people went berserk. And there were, uh, of course, there were a lot of personal vendettas. If, if you owed money to somebody, the simple thing was to kill them and so on. But yes, it was uh, the, the result of colonialism uh, was was bad in both archipelagos, but uh, eventually much worse in Indonesia. You make the argument, or I, I draw the conclusion, that coming to Jakarta tells a story of how that action taken was trotted out as a successful trumping of communism and sold as an idea, perhaps, to underwrite the adventure of Vietnam. Yes, it happened at the same time as Vietnam, and uh, one of the analyses of why the Americans wanted to do it, because they were very keen to have the army go in and take care of the Communist Party, but they knew that the army was frightened of China, and they wanted to put what they called a shield in Vietnam to keep it in, to interpose between China and Indonesia. And if you had a big U.S. presence in Vietnam, you didn't need to win a war. You just needed to be there. That's the key, I think, to all these wars, where these hopeless wars we keep on fighting. Afghanistan will never win that one. Uh, Iraq, we're back in. Uh, we're never going to win in any conventional sense. But the presence of U.S. troops is what matters. And in the case of Iraq, it means that the government of Kazakhstan is willing to make contracts with Chevron and Exxon and uh, not fear Russia because he's got Russian armies to the north, but now there's an American army to the south. So it's, um, 
it, it, it doesn't make what sense on one level. It does make sense on another level, and uh, it's imperialism. It looks like the business of war. I was... Um, the poem is less... I mean, it, it, if you read my poem, it's not going to tell you an enormous amount about what happened in Indonesia, although it, it did some things, and I, I learned a lot writing the poem and researching that led to certain prose things I wrote, and uh, one of the consequences, which is kind of amusing, I, I actually got to debate William Colby, who the, was the, at that time the ex-head of the CIA, and before that head of the Asia desk at the time of the massacre. So. Uh, it, uh, it, 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 it created minor waves among intellectuals and so on. Um, but most of the poem was just uh, the feeling of uh, which I think most people have. You know, this is an awful world and we would love to do something about it, but we can't, or we can't seem to get anything done. So it's, it's, a, it's a mixture of the personal and the political. You mentioned earlier that a, a book in progress is the writing of the uh, a book about the writing of this trilogy. Can you talk about that? Yes. Well, first of all, I, I did an article for something called uh, the Asia uh, uh, Asia Political Journal, uh, in which I just talked about how writing the poem. Well, no, I think I better begin somewhere else. Uh, I, I have a, a friend, a former student, but a now a very good friend and helper and colleague, uh, co-author, who uh, loved the poem and uh, persuaded me two years ago to sit down and do some interviews uh, explaining the poem, because the poem really needs explanation. And so he interviewed me. There are a total of 22 interviews, each one about half an hour long. And uh, he has asked me matter-of-fact questions about what's happening in the poem. And that's the core of the book. And originally it was going to be the book. I was just going to get, transcribe those essays and write a few introductory words. Uh, and that would be it. But, you know, interview, being interviewed by him, it took over a year. Um, I thought more and more about the poem. And I realized that the poem had really been very important to me in developing my own political ideas. I, I, I'm known for talking about deep politics, the politics that doesn't get mentioned, the, the locus of power in a zone that is so hidden that the, media, the, 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 the mainstream media never write about it. And I realized that I had uh, been empowered to develop those ideas by writing the poem. The poem helped my political thinking, particularly because there was one event. I recovered a memory in, the po in writing the poem. It comes at the very end of the poem. And you would have thought it was such a vivid event that it would be something you'd never forget. But I had totally repressed it. And this is what happened. Uh, there's somebody, a friend of mine called Al McCoy, wrote a book called The Politics of Heroin. 
And I was writing a book called The War Conspiracy at the same time. This is way back in 72, 1972. And uh, he came out here on his way to Indochina. And I phoned somebody that I had met at an anti-war uh, event a few months before. This man had said he was in special forces, and he had seen opium loaded onto CIA planes, Air America. So, and I had a contact for him. So I phoned him, and I said, would you be willing to talk to my friend Al McCoy and myself? This was a late afternoon, and he said, sure. And he gave us his address in Palo Alto. And the next morning, Al and I drove down to Palo Alto, and we knocked on. We walked up a few steps to his door, banged on the door, and he came out with his fingers to his lips, indicating that we ought to speak. And this was kind of surprising because we had come to talk to him. And then he led us down the stairs, and then he began to talk. And he said, "Look at my look at my MG," and we looked at it. It was a convertible with a steel door, and there was a hole in the door about a foot in diameter. And he said, and then he said, now look at the floor of my MG, and the floor was made of wood. And he said, they use an implosive device to bomb my car. That must have been my old unit. They're telling me I can't talk to you. Well, I had just witnessed a, a terrorist event, very, a small one, admittedly, but the use, the use of terror to intimidate and silence this guy we were going to talk to. And this was all on the basis of a phone call that I had had with him the night before. So you might think this is a pretty uh, unforgettable thing. In fact, is I forgot about it. And so did Al McCoy. And eventually, when Al McCoy uh, wrote the final edition of his major book, The Politics of Heroin, he mentions my account of it in the preface. He quotes from the poem, Coming to Jakarta, because that's how he recovered his memory, was through my sharing with him the poem. Well, you know, I think quite a lot of this goes on. We repress, if there are things that don't, why would I not remember something like that? I think it, it's just too too scary. I think if there are things that, uh, that we don't want to think about, we repress them. And I think the job of poetry is to bring our consciousness back to those things that we don't want to face, and uh, and also to lead a way out, because um, if I hadn't found a way out by healing the poem, I might not have recovered that memory. It's significant to me. It was the, I recovered a lot of memories in writing the poem, but that is literally the very last one on the last page but one of the poem. And uh, that's because it was the scariest of all in my relatively un unscary life. So that's where I think that poetry is, uh, can contribute to politics. And you were asking about the book I'm writing now. I wrote an essay about recovering that memory and how it led to my notion of deep politics. I published that, uh, I think, in 2011. And uh, then I realized that should go in this book. 
So the total title of my book is Poetry and Terror, The Poetics and Politics of Coming to Jakarta, because the, uh, the process the, uh, is, is as much political as is po poetical. So that's the core of the book, is those interviews, uh, a couple of introductions, a prose essay I wrote way back in the 1980s, informed by the research which I had done for the poem, and then this, you might say, the most original part is this, how poetry can lead to a, an informed, deeper sense of politics. That's the book. We speak of poetry as healing. It was a healing for yourself, and I believe bringing the focus to the reading audience, to pieces of history they might have heard about in passing. I mean, even Hollywood films, like uh, uh, that Mel Gibson film with um, uh, Lethal Weapon, made reference to running opium out of Vietnam and the silence that is enforced by those who are still doing it. When you see real accounts such as you give it brings it out of the uh, the uh, the imagination and brings it into the real uh, which then perhaps creates the uh, the uh, the attention of the of the group to of the group focus to do some more research and that's where the healing starts yeah and actually it even raises questions of what is real because uh, i don't think my belief is as human beings we're not really supposed to be living in the kind of system that we're living in now. <coughs> and that, uh, and that we're, I'm not talking about Indonesia now, I'm not talking about my own poetry. For, since the beginning of time, I think that uh, the, the world has been an unsatisfactory world and we are, there's something in us, or certainly most of us, or some of us, that wants a better world, and poetry is our way of grasping for that other world. And that other world may not exist yet, but that doesn't mean for me that it's not real, maybe not even more real than this uh, insane world that we're living in now. And we're caught between two different kinds of worlds, and poetry is the vehicle to escape from this one to, to the other one and back. Um that there is an innate goodness in humans that is frustrated by our current civilization is referenced perhaps by you on page 25 as you uh, speak of the horrors of the Indonesian uh, civil war and you say or you gentle reader let us examine carefully the good reasons you and I don't enjoy reading this yeah right oh you got the poem there yes um, and, uh, you know, I, I was writing this out as a process. Uh, I didn't understand the reasons I didn't enjoy, and the poem continues to explore them and actually goes back into my childhood, and then I realized that I, too, was violent as a child, and I have to wonder why that is. I'm still wondering, by the way. <laughs> Even after the interview with my friend Freeman Ng, uh, he, uh, I, 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 I was a lot wiser about the evil in myself, but it's. A, I believe it's. There's no proof for this whatsoever, but I believe that the it is. Uh, we're most human when we're behaving in 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 concert with other people and getting along with other people. And if, of course, uh, there are times when all of us don't, but. 
I attribute that to the way that we are deformed by the frustrations of life. And some people, of course, have terrible lives and become terribly deformed. Um, now, you can't prove that. And I have friends, uh, I have one friend in particular, who believes that, no, it's, uh, man, uh, it's, it's equally human to be a saint or to be a sinner, that there, there isn't a preference in human nature for one over the other. I think there is a genetic tendency to become better than we are now, and that we're not, as a, as a species, uh, maybe we're, we haven't really reached the fullness of development when we will be better than we are now. You know, cannibalism used to be widespread. Now, it still occurs, but we usually regard it as uh, pretty dysfunctional if it happens. And, uh, and uh, Freud himself said that certain desires become repressed, and he pointed to cannibalism as being the, the one that has been most uh, widely uh, suppressed as, as a rule. So that's just a belief. And I think I, even if I didn't believe that, I think I still would write poetry, but I do believe it, and it's, my poetry is very connected to that belief. as we speak of poems and healing um, so often you are, are uh, asked to trot out uh, the, um, the world on fire and the uh, reasons behind it would you share with us sir a poem of your own Love that. a poem oh my gosh I should have been ready for that uh, I, I, I suppose I do a poem that's completely different just to uh, I, you know I'm now 87 uh, my there are a lot of things I no longer do. If you're like me, you're probably wondering, should I inject bleach into my eyeballs with a needle? Well, that's an excellent question. I'm so glad you asked. Statistics show that no. No, you should not inject bleach into your eyeball with a needle. Paid for by the committee to stop injecting bleach into the eyeballs with needles. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. Global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines. Vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor.
want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant